Chapter Five of New Adventures of Alice by John Ray. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Five: Self-Steering Pens. By the time they had reached the front door of the strange little four-legged house and alighted, the smoke had all cleared away. Instead of sparks, the sky was full of wonderfully brilliant stars thickly spread and so carefully arranged in their constellations that one could easily pick out the great bear the little bear and all the rest the dragon was so real that alice was almost frightened for the moment it's just like the chart in uncle's big astronomy she cried clapping her hands the poet turned to alice and said earnestly if the dipper were nearer twould do very well perhaps you have noticed a scorched sort of smell but we're short here of water so far from the ground and cakes always burn if i just turn around he had been fumbling with a curious big brass key that hung at his belt and had finally managed by trying it backwards to push it into the keyhole and turn the lock which sprung to with a loud report there that's locked now so let's go in it's time our supper to begin he murmured and then dived in through an open window it seemed to alice a strange performance to carefully lock the door and enter by the window but she was getting used to surprises of all sorts i suppose he has a reason she decided and followed in doing so she knocked over a huge bottle of ink which had been standing on a little desk near the window alice was a very neat little girl and anything of this sort distressed her almost beyond words oh dear now i've done it she wailed as the ink which was bright green ran down over the stool and on to the floor she started desperately mopping it up with her handkerchief but this seemed useless as by this time it was at least an inch deep all over the floor no matter an accident worry no more but just take a look at my ink-saving floor remarked the poet casually turning from the stove where he had been mournfully examining the burnt remnants of the patty cakes through a large reading glass it happens so often about once a day that week ago wednesday i fixed it this way he added and raised a small trap-door in the middle of the floor alice now saw that the floor was full of shallow grooves which led the ink to a little well under the trap-door soon the last drop had run into the ink-well the poet now went over to what looked like a sort of umbrella stand which was full of enormous quill pens and selecting a beautiful bright blue one he handed it politely to alice taking a green one with yellow spots for himself he then took from a drawer in the little desk some very long narrow sheets of bright crimson paper remarking with a chuckle as he held them up it's easily read as somebody said sitting cross-legged on the floor the poet dipped his pen into the inkwell and started to write rapidly try it try it don't sit quiet he cried pushing several sheets of the crimson paper toward alice and excitedly running his fingers through his long hair alice noticed that even when he did this the big quill pen kept on writing busily making a wonderful flourish at the end of each verse and occasionally adding a spencerian swan for good measure alice dipped her pen in the bright green ink and was delighted to find that it started immediately to write in a neat rounded script fairly dragging her small hand along with it we may as well finish up volume eight no supper to-night says the voice of fate muttered the poet after he had written a verse or two adding after a moment's reflection though i'm not sure i shall ever dare to publish these i must have a care alice hardly heard a word of what the poet was saying for she was fascinated by the very unusual sensation of using a self-steering pen and tremendously interested to see what it would write of course it will be all nonsense she said to herself and nonsense it surely was after a minute or two the blue quill stopped and this was what she read who'll buy my cakes the crocus croaked and echo answered who echo was dressed all in his best in brilliant buoyant blue 
His belt was trimmed with bright blue bells, and yet he wrung his hands, and in despair he clawed his hair all bound with rubber bands. Yet though he'd bands upon his hair, he played upon a comb. The air was fresh and soft and sad, somewhat like home sweet home. Though this fresh air was all about, he breathed the last farewell. Who'll buy my cake, the crocus crooked, for he had soap to sell. The poet scratched his head judicially for a moment, and then said slowly, That's rather good, yes, rather good. But really now I think I should leave out that part about the cake. It almost makes one's stomach ache. Though if one makes of it a lather, soap's not bad eating, if you'd rather. Let's see if this one's worth its ink. The title's pleasing. Come to think. The poet started to read from the sheet he was holding. Come to think. Why is it zebras sometimes spelled with a double X and Y? I don't know, but I'll ask Aunt Anne. Perhaps she'll tell me why. And why, you ask me, does a dog face always nor nor west? I cannot answer that, although I've tried my level best. And why, oh why, do you and I walk on our thumbs and ears? I do not know. You do not know. They do not know, my dears. Why is a porpoise always pink? I'll try hard to recall. Why, come to think, they're never pink. They're never pink at all. That'll do, I guess. Said the poet, doubtfully, setting the sheet aside. It's got a good moral, anyway. Alice couldn't exactly see just where the moral came, but she didn't interrupt to ask about it, for the poet had already begun to chuckle over another sheet, which he soon started to read as follows. Secrets. Come close to me, that I to you a secret may impart, a secret more important, too, than how to toss a tart. I'll whisper in your purple ear like this a word or two. Come nearer, lest they overhear. They seek the whirbaloo. At three o'clock I heard them creep, at four I heard them crawl, at five-fifteen in silence deep I dong, dong, dong. Alice jumped to her feet in alarm, for a sudden deafening sound of bells filled the tiny room. Whoa, they're back! Dobbin, Jack! shouted the poet over his soldier in a matter-of-fact way. Alice, looking in the direction of the furious ringing, saw that it came from bells on the collar of two tiny dappled horses, who had stepped out onto a little platform under the face of a very curiously carved clock like a toy stable which hung in the corner of a room well said alice much relieved that is a strange sort of cuckoo clock it's not a cuckoo clock my dear those are bell horses that you hear one o'clock two o'clock off and away quoted alice yes shouted the poet for the bells were still jangling loudly at two o'clock the beggars always come, and we have nothing for em, not a crumb. And hark, I think I hear another bell, that must be pussy once more down the well. You jump on Dobbin, and I'll take old Jack, and off we'll go before— At this moment the snipe, who'd Alice had almost forgotten, poked his head in the little window and whispered hoarsely, Quick, they're coming! Don't you hear the dogs barking? Run for it! End of chapter five